0: Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us hey looks like we hit in the middle ages so grab your shield and lance as we talk about medieval tournaments since ancient times warriors have always staged practice fights to hone their martial skills the medieval tournament which is really a practice in equestrian warfare probably stems from the practicing that cavalry troops did during the roman empire unfortunately There's not many written records available from the 400s to the 700s to corroborate this connection. However, we can connect the medieval tournament to the cavalry games used for military training in the Carolingian Empire during the 800s. Records speak of military games held at Worms in 843 at the end of a three-year civil war between Louis the German and Charles the Bald. Participants charging and chasing each other on horseback, performing maneuvers of great skill, was followed by a general melee of all involved. As we move into the 10 and 11 hundreds, we see a development of organized meetings of knights, specifically to practice military skills by engaging in mock cavalry battles. These gatherings took on two basic forms. The first was known by the word tournament, This originally referred to a practice battle between two groups of mounted knights. Sides would be chosen, much like how you'd pick teams on the playground, and the two sides would fight. This event was also commonly called a melee or turning. The other form was called the joust. I'm sure you know this one. It was a one-on-one duel between mounted knights using wooden lances. Over time, the words joust and tournament became synonymous for any gathering of knights for the purpose of sport and martial practice. Records from the late 1100s clearly used the word tournament in such a generic way. And speaking of which, what is the origin of the word tournament? It seems that the origin of the word is as obscure as the origin of the event it describes. One possibility comes from the fact that these gatherings were originally held for knights to practice their horsemanship, then in battle would require dramatic turns, or partour in French. Partour, tournament. There seems to be a connection there. Although another possibility suggests that perhaps it came from the early convention that groups of knights would circle each other, or turn around before engaging. Again, that idea of turning, tournament regardless of the origin of the word when do we see the first truly medieval tournament taking place well, again that can't be known for sure although we do have mention of one in a chronicle from the abbey of san martin in two fronts an entry from the year 1066 refers to the death of godfrey de Prinilli, killed in a tournament by the way the rules of that tournament were said to have been created by godfrey himself ouch hey if you're gonna like create the rules for something maybe set them up so you yourself don't get killed a lot of references from the 10 hundreds suggest that tournaments did begin in france and the skill of french knights in battle at this time helps back that up clearly they had had a lot of practice records also tell us that tournaments had spread to the German states and Flanders by the early 1100s and into England and the Italian states by mid century so by the later part of the 1100s tournaments could be found throughout Europe and proved to be hugely popular among spectators so how was a tournament set up well because tournaments were popular for a number of centuries they naturally developed and changed over the years, but I'll try to give you the basics and then trace the development from there. Early on, tournaments used the exact same weapons and armor that would be used in battle. Remember, that's what they were originally for, training for actual battle. For the tournament, or what I'll call the melee, a battle site was chosen. In other words, a field on which to fight. In the early days especially, This could cover quite an area, even a few square miles. At each end of the field were fenced off areas where knights could retreat to recuperate for a bit or to replace a broken lance or lost shield. These areas were referred to as the lists. Later on, as the combat area grew smaller and the tournament became more festive in nature, this word was used to describe the entire enclosure stands were erected for spectators originally at each end and then later on more along the sides of the field when it became smaller. Over this ground the two opposing groups of knights would square off. I said earlier that choosing these groups was kinda like picking teams on the playground and sometimes they were divided like that. Other times found the knights placed on different teams based on where they were from. At some smaller tournaments There might be no teams at all with an every-man-for-himself kind of format. At some of the larger tournaments, each team might have upwards of 200 knights. Each knight was on horseback wearing full armor and carried a lance, sword, and shield. At a given signal, both sides charged, and the melee began. Things quickly would become quite violent, and serious injuries and fatalities were common, especially in the earlier years. There were marshals riding the field to watch for foul play, but they really weren't too effective. The field was large, and there weren't too many rules to enforce. Things like a group of knights ganging up on one guy, or attacks on a knight who had become unhorsed and was on foot, were seen as completely fair. Wait, what about the jousting? The jousting portion of the tournament existed since at least the 1100s, but was seen as sort of a side attraction to the melee, at least until the 1400s, when it took its place as the main event. Preliminary jousts were held the day before the melee as a way for knights to showcase their individual skills. More jousting was done on the morning of, usually involving the younger knights. I'll talk more about jousting in a little bit. So why do this? Why participate in an event that could leave you maimed or dead? Was it just to practice military skills? No, there's more to it than that. Of course, the honor and glory that went with winning a tournament were strong motivators. And if that wasn't enough, there was also the prospect of a huge payday. Yeah, money. You see, depending on the rules of a particular tournament, a knight captured by the opposition during the melee would have to pay his captor. The price could be the knight's weapons and armor, or his horse, or a cash payment called a ransom, the amount of which would be decided ahead of time. On top of this, there would also be some type of prizes awarded to the winning team and the best knight by the tournament sponsor at a lavish banquet held at the end. Yes, these early tournaments could be quite violent. I already mentioned the serious injuries and frequent deaths. They could also turn into real battles if tempers flared, especially in the case of revenge matches between knights from different regions or countries. There was also a very real possibility that some of the spectators might get riled up enough to rush the field and join in. To try to curb some of this unwanted violence, more rules were introduced by the late 1200s. Any knight caught breaking the rules would automatically lose their armor and horse and could end up imprisoned, even. The weapons used in the tournament began to be adapted to lessen the fatalities. It was at this time we start to see the tips of the lances modified to reduce their impact. Daggers were outlawed, and swords began to be blunted. Such weapons as these became known as arms of courtesy, and to keep the spectators in line, no weapons were allowed in the crowd. By the time the 1300s rolled around, tournaments began to lean more toward pageantry and spectacle rather than real fighting, and focused more on displays of skill and honor. The opening parade of knights, which had always taken place, became way more lavish, celebrating each knight's noble lineage with much pomp and finery. Heralds would carry banners with each knight's coat of arms, which also decorated their shields and their horses were arrayed in coverings also representing this. The size of the field was much reduced, making the melee a bit easier to control and thereby safer. This measure of increased safety meant knights could wear lighter and fancier armor, not the stuff they actually wore in battle. Now don't get me wrong, even with more safety rules in place, there was still the danger of injury or death. I mean, blunted weapons are still weapons being wielded by highly trained warriors. Also, with tournaments becoming increasingly more lavish, the costs to stage one skyrocketed, and none but the wealthiest knights or the monarchy could afford to host them. The entrance fee, which up to this time was quite reasonable, climbed to exorbitant amounts, making it difficult, if not impossible, for poorer knights to participate. Those knights who couldn't afford it sometimes staged their own side contests away from the actual tournament. These unofficial events were often called a challenge to arms. One knight, or maybe a small group of knights, would issue an open challenge to take on all comers in some kind of fighting challenge. As I said, skill and honor became more of the focus by this time. Remember, knights followed a code of chivalry and the tournament was a great place for a knight to publicly show he had the qualities that any good knight was expected to possess martial skills courtesy good breeding noble manners and generosity knights who had disreputable reputations or had done such things as committing murder or being excommunicated or slandering a woman were banned from competing, although some banned knights did weasel their way into the tournament by competing anonymously. By this time, tournaments were drawing huge crowds of spectators and had become the great social events of the day. They were often held to celebrate important occasions, such as coronations, royal weddings, royal births, or a particular order of knights. Spectators from afar would set up tents near the lists, almost like the modern-day tailgater. Along with the viewing stands, balconies and pavilions were constructed for the wealthy onlookers, much like stadium loge seats today. Booths sold food and drink, along with a wide variety of goods. Intermissions between the action saw actors, minstrels, and acrobats entertain the crowds, and numerous banquets were held in the evenings. This is also the time when the joust rose in prominence. The melee remained a part of the tournament, but jousting was now seen as the main event. I'm sure you've seen jousting in the movies or maybe even at a Renaissance fair. Opposing knights would gallop their horses toward each other and aim their lances at their opponent's shield or throat. By the early 1400s, a wooden fence called the tilt ran along the field so they wouldn't actually run into each other like head on. A direct hit usually unseated a knight. This of course was the goal. Each knight's squire stood nearby with replacement lances should one break. It seems that three lances was the norm. And this is also the time when hollow lances began to be used. This made them shatter more easily and lessen the chance of them causing serious injury. Over time, increasingly complex rules began to be developed, awarding points for a number of shattered lances or hits on a particular part of the opponent or something like that. When a knight did become unhorsed, his opponent could also dismount, and if they wished, they could engage in hand-to-hand combat with swords or sometimes maces. Armor became much more specialized being reinforced in areas more likely to be hit, like the chest and right side of the helmet. A narrower grill was attached to the helmet visor to protect the face more, and a heavier steel gauntlet was worn on the hand that held the lance. At any time during the joust, a knight could concede by simply removing his helmet. Prizes for winning the joust were similar to those awarded for the melee, perhaps a gold crown, or a jewel or a new horse, maybe even a kiss from a certain lady or her garter. Of course the big prize was still collecting the loser's horse or armor or a cash payment. A skilled knight could have a huge payday indeed. The funny thing is that originally tournaments were held as practice sessions for war. Now knights began to hold practice sessions for tournaments. Various practice devices were used, like the Quintain. It was a horizontal rotating arm with a shield target on one end and a heavy sandbag on the other. A knight had to hit the shield, of course, and had to keep riding, or else the arm would swing around and the sandbag would hit him in the back. Suspended wooden hoops were also used as targets for the lance as a knight galloped, and of course, practice jousts were frequently held as well. By the time we hit the 1500s, the nature of warfare was changing, lessening the role of the knight on the battlefield. Couple this with the inherent danger of jousting, no matter how safe they tried to make it, and you start to see a slow decline in the popularity of tournaments. One event that particularly hurt their widespread popularity took place in 1559. In that year, the King of France, Henry II, was participating in a tournament. During his joust, his opponent's lance shattered, and a splintered piece entered his visor and went into his eye. The subsequent infection killed him. Ouch! Not a good day when a chunk of wood stabs you in the eye. And although Henry's accident didn't bring tournaments to an end, it and other similar accidents helped speed their decline until they faded away. Hey, it was fun while it lasted. Now keep in mind, these tournaments that I've been talking about were for knights. That would be the nobility. Commoners, while enthusiastic spectators, could not participate. Were there various martial competitions for commoners during the Middle Ages? Sure there were. But that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends about it. And I very much look forward to talking with you again in our next episode.